welcome uh, football fans, football listeners, podcast listeners, uh, and all across uh, across the globe. We're an international JB crew now. Um, this is our first podcast in a while. Uh, we were fortunate for Will to, to do one during the World Cup, but um, I'm here with uh, new sign-ins, uh, a new vibe, uh, and, and a really exciting topic that we're going to discuss um, over the, the coming hour. Uh, I'm your host, Joe, and uh, this is Yog Benito Coffee House. And Coffee House approach is, is something that um, I actually might let Chris do a little bit of the expansion of it because it's his, his brainchild. Now, what you didn't know, listeners, is that Chris, Simon and I did a, a, a short recording the other, the other day to test out an AI, uh, an AI podcast uh, uh, editing app. And let's just say that they have got a while to go before they're before they're user uh, user friendly they've got a bit of what a bit of time to go so um so that one didn't didn't make it um but this is his proper debut so we've essentially we gave him 20 minutes at the end and and we brought in two hot shots from across the globe uh we're really really excited to have um I will get to you at the end, Chris, so we can focus in on the topic. But we have Anschaman sporting a, a beautiful uh, Germany shirt, maybe an ode to the, the quartet uh, within the group. Uh, Ansh, how are you? Introduce yourself, mate. Uh, we are. We, I must say, I'm so happy that, that you and, and the other, who I'm not revealing yet, uh, are part of the JB crew. Yeah, and I'm excited that I have been chosen to be a part of the crew. So... Yeah, thank you uh, for your, uh, for once again having me on board and giving me a chance to ramble as uh, I always do. So yeah, just a bit about me. I am a football writer and, edit- and editor for Sports Khabri. That is a sports infotainment website based out of New Delhi, India. And uh, if I were to keep it short, which I usually can't, as you'll figure out eventually, dear listeners, uh, my three passions, the three biggest passions if I could pick them out, are football, world history and languages in that order so those uh, are the three things that i really really like exploring and looking at life through so yeah that's just a bit about me and i suppose we'll uh, get to know each other a bit more as the part goes on absolutely love that uh, uh, it's nice because i'd say those three things are probably tenants of of what we'll, we'll talk about today um so from the from the 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 germany wearing a uh, shirt wearing anschaman to um our german friend seb uh our eintracht frankfurt um arsenal loving friend uh again th- we, we've all come together guys for uh listeners from uh twitter spaces our sessions that we hosted last year and uh and it's really nice to to have branched out and seb um welcome to, to Yoga Benito. Yeah, thank you for letting me be part of this whole thing. It's really exciting to to be able to have this platform to do stuff. Um, I'm Sebastian, I'm from Germany, and I've up to this point only had my ramblings heard through an audience on Twitter. This is my first time uh, branching out of that paradigm. Uh, I'm an English and philosophy student at university, and that's pretty much it. Nice, Seb. We've already established that Seb is wearing the uh, uh, the attire that's very uh, aligned to one of the topics that that we'll we'll talk today. Um, rounding up is Chris. Um, Chris, great to have you back. I feel like I've already done an intro, but um, Chris is <laughs> um, 
Chris is is a friend of mine who um, we actually met through uh, the coffee shop that my my brothers run in uh, in Plymouth, and uh, Chris is someone that um, I met for a coffee probably two two three years ago now quite 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 a while ago. My brothers just came in and were like Joe, you need to speak to this dude who comes in the coffee. His name's Chris. He's like football mad, and and uh, and we met for a coffee and we sat and talked for about three hours, and then Chris was like, oh my god, I need to get to a football match. I've got like ten minutes. Get to to the yeah. team that I'm coaching. I was late. As you well. were late. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and through Twitter Spaces, um, we uh, just yeah just got to know each other better, and and now we get to to do this. So Chris, welcome, man. Uh, big love. Yeah, and Thank you for and me. really excited about what you've you've posed. So you know the 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 Yoga yes. Benito Coffee House is is a bit of your brainchild as a, an opportunity to yep. discuss things. Yeah, so it's partly inspired by conversations I had with your brother in said coffee house as a as a second and third year student at university coming in for a little bit of sanity outside of academia but still intellectual conversation and then that was taken away during COVID and they've since changed business model and have super duper success now but that's one thing that I no longer get to do um, and partly it's an ode to a time in the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, that is spoken about in Jonathan Wilson's book, um, Inverting the Pyramid, um, but is was not only football specific, but philosophical and scientifically um, specific, where people would come together in in uh, Vienna, drink coffee and share ideas, and it's something that humans have been doing for time around campsites and campfires and ever since coffee was introduced to the Western, Middle Eastern and Western world is something that people have continued to do. And I think that it's something that would be beneficial for topics like this. Topics like this. And and my, do we have a topic? So um, some of you, hopefully, uh, who are listening, might have um, tuned in when we did some of the spaces. And uh, and one of the, the, the topics that... that came to the forefront was based around uh, a football coach and football writer and and uh, I'll consider him a a, a friend of, of Yoga Benito he's someone that that we uh, we were lucky enough to have interacted with who had on our Twitter spaces his name is Jamie Hamilton if you don't read any of his medium stuff and you are a fan of football um, then you're really missing out um, I'd say he's perhaps the most unique um, voice uh, and uh, from all of us I think the thing that we find refreshing is uh, Jamie's a brilliant writer. Like first and foremost, he is an absolutely brilliant writer. The fact that his medium uh, is football uh, that he writes about is just like an added bonus for me. Um, I've, I rarely have come across kind of writing that has really kind of struck me. Uh, and then I get to enjoy the the, the, the topics. And, and Jamie, for the last kind of... Um, maybe six to, to, to eight months has, has explored two kind of polarizing uh, principles, philosophies. We'll, we'll, we'll explore that more as, as, a, as the pod goes on. Um, that have essentially been distilled down to two words, uh, positionism and relationism. And, and the pod today is an exploration of those. And, we, and we've coined it positionist, positionism versus relationism. But it isn't really a which is better which is worse and on which it's 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 more of an expansion of those 
ideas that Jamie has uh, has discussed. And Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it back to you just to kind of dig a little bit further because this, again, this is this is something that kind of you you drew on and wanted to initially explore. Yeah. So um, Jamie proposing uh, a definition for a different style of football tactics. I think a good place to start the academic inside of me will, will, will be a definition. So I've pieced together some two definitions, one for positionism, one for um, relationism from the pieces that he wrote, which are all linked on our Twitter page. Um, so to start with positionism as a definition coined by, sort of distilled by Jamie from his piece, the base proposal of positionism is that future possibilities can only be derived from what is already known to be real. And in this regard, in a football context, that is space. Space is, is something that is definable, quantitative, and can be exploited. Through actions that are pre-planned, through automations of different movements that are taught and instilled through predetermined distribution of players on a football pitch and at training grounds. The actions that players choose to do are not really their choice. They are predetermined as if from a set menu from their coach and their coach's philosophy. In this interpretation of how football tactics can be um, used, space is the primary reference point and has equal status to the location of the ball, location of teammates and the location of opponents. Um, and through these reference points, you can subdue the chaos that is space through pre-planned predetermined activations and movement to create a future that you have decided is what you've wanted. So that is a nice rounded definition of positionism. Um, I'll give you a pause and then I'll move on to relationism. And relationism, again, this is gleaned from the explanations of Jamie's article, The Positionist, um, and his definition that he chooses to attribute to this is fundamentally relationism is based in the idea that space is not a commodity it's not controllable it is derived from a football context from the location of where the ball is where your teammates are and where the opposition is and space is the absence of those things so it's something that is fluid and not static it is completely dependent on those variables and because of this the chaos cannot be controlled there is no predetermined patterns of movement to move oppositions around a football pitch. You can merely understand space at the point of which you measure it and in that moment. And therefore, every time that you measure it, you get a different outcome because the variations have moved. No two measurements are the same. No two moments are equal. It embraces the idea of chaos and allows for self-determination of decisions from players based on their perception of these variables, as opposed to a set plan of action by a coach. The onus is on the decisions to be from players, not from coaches that are predetermined. So that is uh, a nice, I think, definition based upon Jamie's work for both principles. I love it. Um, well done for, for putting that together. I just wanna, uh, I'll, I'll essentially occupy the the, palate cleanser in between 
uh, essentially the three heavy hitters here, listeners. And just to let you know, we, we kind of compared notes beforehand, uh, and Chris, Chris's were significantly, significantly greater uh, than ours. That's not to say we didn't prepare, but Chris is, um, Chris is severely invested here, which is a testament to him. Um, yeah, that's a great overview. And so, Anshuman, the initial outlay of what, what, what Chris has kind of given us the framework on, where, where do you see those, those two interpretations of, of positionism and relationism? Uh, so one of the fundamental things that uh, Jamie himself has tried to do in the in the pieces that he he has written over the months is it, it has uh, he has uh, put both of them on a spectrum on the either on either side of a spectrum, and he's tried to establish what exactly is it that positionism entails and what is it exactly that relationism ex- entails, and it's at this point that we also need to establish what Jamie's motivations are when he's trying to explore these different ideas of football because based on what he has written and based on what he has even speaking about, uh, spoken about when we take into account the TIFA interview he had with uh, John. So John McKenzie, we need to ex- mention him fully as well. So, so that is one thing that we need to establish which is that uh, he is uh, slightly preoccupied, slightly worried about the fact that uh, because uh, the world is so globalized now everything is so connected that uh, because of the eurocentric ideas of positional play and the success that they have had and the kind of uh, monopoly european football simply enjoys over the rest of the world the ideas of football in themselves have become very homogenized insofar as there is one particular fundamental set of ideas that are con- considered better than everyone else and uh, so he has start he has been on this journey and uh, he has been trying to come up with different uh, go to different places and explore different people and may have those people feel him something different which is which is one of the fundamental parts of what comes off when you are reading something that is written by Jamie so that is the fundamental thing that it's becoming too homogenized it's all too too much of the same thing and uh, something different needs to be uh, something different needs to be seen to to feel to just feel and feel that kind of vivacity again that that of this whoever uh, their position on uh, imitations just don't work the same way anymore so those are Jamie's motivation which is where his uh, adulation for Roberto de Zerbi and even Fernando Genis comes from and uh, so that is the fundamental thing that we need to keep in mind when we talk about his explanation for what position in a is, is and what relationism is so these are two things and he has uh, proposed that these two exp- exist on either side of a spectrum and uh, which is something that i very much agree with and uh, in his recent p- p- pieces especially the one uh, that has basically cre- gave us the idea for the spot which is the positionist that uh, arigo saki who has who's regarded as one of the biggest uh, uh, tactical innovators he used to consider p- space as as important a factor as equal a factor in uh, as the opponent your teammate and a ball for 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 one particular player at any given moment in time and uh, his proposition has been that space cannot be considered as something that is finite and something that has a fixed set of functions and there is nothing more interpretable about it because that can be proven to be empirically untrue because Space is uh, as much as finite as space can be from a realistic standpoint. It may have fixed meters. The interpretation of an, a unit of space at any given moment in time is always going to be different because at the end of the day, and this is again a very fundamental thing that we'll come back to when we are rounding things off, is that 
it all depends on the people that are interpreting that space. So if I'm holding the ball and the other person on the other end is an opposition and there's a teammate, so they are going to interpret it differently. And I'm going to look at the pitch and I'm going to come up with a different way of interpreting how much space I require to get ball from A to B and what action I'm going to take to, for, for the ball to go from A to B. So space isn't exactly necessarily something that is equal to the rest of the three things that that has been positioned here it's more of a canvas like like consider an artist who's look, uh, looking at a canvas and uh, the it may have the exact same dimensions for 10 different artists but they are going to interpret those dimensions every single every single squared meter of of those uh, of that canvas differently so that is what we are essentially trying to explore here that in the human characteristics and fundamentally in human as a human being able to interpret same things differently there is vibrance there is a there is a kaleidoscope full of uh, interpretations of which same area of space can be considered so that is one of the things that we are going to explore here that uh, as a finite as you can ask your players to be in their decision making they're always going to be a level of interpretation that creates an infinitely uh, infinitely complex uh, set of outcomes that can always and always uh, be interpreted in different way and so yeah that is what we're going to explore more and more as we go into the pod love that Ansh. um um i wanted to pose um a, a query and maybe to in order for relationism to to be this thing that we now are, are conceiving this this different interpretation of football and again listen this this isn't a, a space where we're trying to figure out what is what is it a better version of football merely kind of exploring whether uh, that, that that a different interpretation of football around different parameters can exist and does exist perhaps like what i wonder is is whether it's worth exploring the um the inception of positionism and you know what you talked about uh Anshuman, is something uh, with the homogenization uh, what we see as you know I, I i essentially watch majority of of the premier league i watch a little bit of syria and a little bit of the bundesliga that would be where i i feel most comfortable but especially within the premier league um i feel that we 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 do have an, a homogenized brand of football with with them being various shades of positionist football and i wonder where did that where did where does positionism originate from now one of the things jamie uh, uh, um, uh talks about is is not that um that that saki was the creator of it that it's, it essentially created itself but i just wonder perhaps whether when when did it become dramatically visible within within the the game and and when did it reach that kind of tipping point so yeah it's um i think a lot of it has to do with one coaches being visible internationally so i I, you know with with t with tv expansion um from the 90s onwards and being able to watch um leagues from different nations that you don't necessarily reside in all of a sudden your the ideas of um, successful managers are able to be visible not outside of the European context. So in, if you see a Saki doing well in Europe, no longer are you uh, limited to you know three, four, five, six games of viewing. You can watch the season hypothetically. 
Um, I think it also has to do with an increased view of the coach as a genius, the coach as the primary ideas person um, that has happened in football again um, in my lifetime more and more. I, I think that also it comes down to a misunderstanding of how football tactics develop. They develop over time organically through the context of the area that they develop within. They shouldn't be um, trans. You shouldn't be able to um, take them from one area and move them to a different area and expect the same results without some sort of adjustment to the cultural context that you're within. And I think that as La Liga grew in the late 2000s, as we got as Barcelona became very successful and became one of the first teams to, you know, win everything that you can win in a year, in a calendar year, to do so, playing a certain way that was different to what we were used to in um, England. And for it to be as attractive and coinciding with a revolution within the English FA in terms of how their education for coaching and development of players um, was being reviewed and fundamentally copied a lot of um, the Spanish Barcelona system because that's what that was the the hot topic um, of the of the late 2000s early 2010s and it's it's become a you know a multifaceted beast with lots of different influences but fundamentally it's you know veneration of certain coaches and a certain time of play that happen to coincide with a massive globalization of football outside of you know looking at your own nation's league and in turn misinterpretation of how certain systems developed in certain ways yeah and what's important here to remember is that it's not only the globalization in terms of it being appealing because of the success it has garnered within barcelona it's fundamentally goes back to what Ange said about if we view the football pitch as the football pitch is essentially the limits of what we can do in football, right? We can't play outside of it. So <clears throat> it comes back to the human need for logic and what Jamie said about positionism creating itself in a way, because we look at the pitch as a finite space and see, okay, how can we export it in the biggest way possible? How can we stretch it the furthest? How can we squeeze it vertically the most? How can we expand it uh, horizontally the most and to see Guardiola do this with a five-man front line creating wide spaces going back to things that have happened in the uh, in, in Hungary in the 50s and 60s to sort of see that this as a logical step and to then try to export it everywhere because this essentially in our conception of what space is is a logical occupation of it through these sort of means what we're forgetting here then is that we're more concerned about putting people in spaces and less concerned about who we're putting in certain spaces and how those spaces and the people we put close to each other connect in a way. And and to build on that, I think it also coincides with how society has changed on the whole. Like we talk about occupying space and how to use things efficiently. We live in an increasingly globalised society where efficiency of production is aim of the game and ability to maximise uh, profit at, through machination and automation and repeatability of practices 
um, as Jamie said in the piece and in his other piece with Denise versus the machine, uh, has increased in the West. So it for me, lots of um, research in academia shows that uh, suggests sorry that coaches develop ideas from the context that they they're in. It's influenced by their experiences of the world around them. And if our world is increasingly about quick fixes, convenience, um, simple solutions that are explainable and repeatable, then for me, it, of course, football would mimic that because that's how our society has gone. When you look at, you know, food, fast food is a big thing. We, you know, you can now order externally cooked food to your doorstep that didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, it's, it, it's, everything has been more convenient and more uh, at the fingertips of what, for, for one, you can get what you want when you want it as quickly as you want it in the last 10 years. And that's exploded. And that, that I think it's safe to assume that, you know, uh, the ideas of whether the position and positionism has also exploded alongside those things. Do you think there is also, uh, sorry, Ange, but do you think there's a a built-in fear um, parameter as well in which chaos doesn't really work with with uh, like the automization and the, and the automated kind of principles that a lot of the world works in so so instilling these within the workforce reduces fear of the, of the unknown the unpredictability and within that uh, if you interpret that back into into to football in terms you know you you will have a coach who is able to you know like like the articles have, have expressed about pep um you know he wants to control that he wants to do you know the the fear of of losing the fear of losing possession the fear of of, of essentially not being in control of the things that lead to the the growth of position and positionism and the adoption of it i i think that culturally in europe we're for hundreds of years predetermined to think that way yeah well that's what i was trying to get at in the um in the in my text message earlier i I kind of feel uh, and and i kind of feel that europe lends itself to the 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 icon the leader um we we you know the the great man the pope the prime minister the you know all of the yeah yeah go on yeah, so, so so ironically, that comes down to the Roman Empire. Um, and in so the idea of the patrofamilia, uh, so the father being the head of the household and the strong veneration of of, of, of a male, per, male person um, stemmed from the Roman Empire and was brought back during the Renaissance and then brought back by the Victorians who enjoyed looking at the Renaissance, who in, who in turn enjoyed looking at the Roman Empire. Um also, if you look at our religion, our religions that we follow, historically speaking, in Europe are monotheistic. It is one person. It is one person responsible for everything. I mean, even in Christianity with the Holy Trinity, fundamentally, it's three renditions of the same thing. Whereas if you look at other um, Eastern religions, as an example, like to use the Japanese Shintoism as an example of everything has, you know, there are lots of different uh, let's say spirits that are responsible for lots of different things and they're localized a tree can be a shinto shrine it can be uh, a, a spirit inhabiting it it could be they have their gods as well but it's not 
one is in charge of everything it's everything is one thing is in charge of one small purpose and is a little bit more chaotic and it's i think that as the money in football concentrated around european leagues i think that also lend itself to a european way of thinking which in turn is influenced by the socio um, economic and cultural um let's say hang-ups because i can't think of a better word of a small nation or small region sorry compared to the rest yeah, of the so world yeah so taking the historical context into uh, into account i think this is an interesting segue because uh, we need to remember that the positionalism versus the relationism uh, debate is essentially a football proxy or over of an overlarging issue which is the fab the essentially the dichotomy between order and chaos and uh, this is something that is as old as time so when we take take history into account even the modern history we talk about uh, okay the roman empire which again uh, was was a culmination of a lot of events that happened before that but we'll not get into that much okay so europe essentially establishes itself as the uh, the leader and uh, when the rest of the colonization of the rest of the world occurs europe establishes itself as in different ways as uh, the harbinger of order like every single thing that is happening in the rest of the world is improper is chaotic is disordered we are the ones who are going to uh, go, go do good things about it because we understand that society needs to function and for in order for society needs to, for the society to function it there needs to be a certain kind of order so that is fundamentally where the positionalism comes from is that uh, there are the cert- certain rules the this is your space you are not going to leave that space no matter what happens you're not going to as we talk about in a societal sense you're not going to break the ceiling you're not going to go past what has been defined a domain for you because you are a prisoner of birth these are the selective ideas that you have but that selective choices that you have you're not going to be, go beyond that so this is where the idea of order comes from and then the counter argument that organically comes out of it is that why is it that we cannot go out of this these things that are predetermined for us what is it what kind of agency do we have over all of this and then the society moves from the idea of free will into pre- into the idea of determinism and then it comes from the idea okay there is some sort of choice that we have in our domain even if that domain cannot be chosen by us deliberately so but then the idea of expression comes in and then we bring this uh, entire thing back to football as to why is it that the what relationship expressionism has with football and with football we need to keep into mind that uh, football is roughly in in its current guys it started growing roughly 160 years ago when a few uh, when few representatives of a few organizations gathered together in, uh, in essentially in one small place in 1863 and decided that okay football goes this way rugby goes that way and this is the association football as as will eventually go grow and become uh, for the rest of the world so that is where football uh, football begins and uh, then in the beginning when we are talking about in england the idea is uh, the, the ideas are more abstract abstract as chris has talked about uh, the goals of football in the present day it's very success driven and it's very binary the end goal is that you need to win you need to give us trophies and how you express your way on it is an optional thing like if if you are playing good football while winning it's fine but that is the end goal it's winning when football starts out it 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 is not that uh, it's not that binary there there are uh, bigger bigger um, let's say abstract targets in mind because it started by schoolmasters who want to imbibe into people british values and moral values that are considered strong and good and all of that stuff and uh, so but there is a certain kind of football that is encouraged in so far as okay you uh, you're going to take the ball you're going to take the ball and move forward and stop and only stop and pass to someone else and that too it has to be forward it can never be ba- it can never be a lateral pass and that's only going to happen 
when you physically understand that it's never you are, you are not going to move any further and that that is where the 2 to 6 uh, event the 2 to 6 is uh, in the initially born and that's where the, the ideas take place of expressionism and then it's it is it is in Scotland where they realize that okay if we could play combinational combinational setups we might able we might be able to interpret the space uh, in a better way so that is where the idea of expressionism immediately comes from so Positionalism and relationalism isn't something that has propped up very recently. This is something that has been going on very in, throughout the very beginning as well, even in football, even in a footballing context. And uh, in in many ways, you could say that relationalism uh, and positionalism are two things that keep pouring into one another from time to time. Because another thing that we'll come back to later on is that the reality always lies in the middle. So if these are the two extremities, the reality will always be in the middle. It might be inclined slightly in positional uh, in positionist uh, in the positionist argument, or it might be uh, uh, inclining way too much in the relationist argument. But, uh, but both of these styles of play, if we are talking about Denise Fluminense or we're talking about Guardiola City, they are going to have uh, Guardiola City are going to have relationist examples in, in even in, in very infinitesimal ways and even Fernando, Fernando Genesis Fluminense is going to have my, my microscopic examples where order is the order is the, essentially that's what being followed to a certain degree so the things like that to keep in mind when we're talking about uh, positionalism and relationism so yeah if we just do a quick super quick uh rendition of you know the cultural context of South America if we look at Europe Europe's need to have order the you know the last hundred years of history in South America has been a fight against order it's a continent that for a lot of the 20th century had various different military dictators in different places in different parts of the of the continent so the idea of rebellion against enforced order in a footballing context stemming from South America, I think is no surprise. I think also if you look at the footballing debates between places like Brazil and Argentina, it is a debate against, you know, a, a Eurocentric style of play. If you, if you look at what Pelé represented in Brazil was a move away from that European view of how football should be played and a more expressive um, style that better represents the people of Brazil and again in the context of a military dictatorship so I, I think that's a nice uh, segue and natural transition towards exploring the footballing side of things as a expression of the culture that is slowly starting to breed these ideas yeah nice um, Seb I want to bring you in really because um, let's start to get uh, to, to, towards the principles of, of relationism within football and and i know you've 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 been fortunate enough to to speak with jamie i don't know if it was on the back of one of the twitter spaces actually yeah, i think yeah. it was before um but but maybe you can expand on 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 the principles of relationism within the game where uh, denise comes in uh, and yeah yeah you you go from here well what's important to note here we've used the word chaos as a sort of superlative to describe things that aren't that are sort of on the opposite side of positionism in a footballing sense. But we shouldn't use chaos as a principle of relationism because we do have order within relationism or whatever we define as relationism. We're simply saying that the level of imposition the coach gives you is diminished to create spaces or to define it in a different way. 
to pull away from the function of the coach as the primary giver of ideas to someone who creates an environment where ideas can be created from within itself, right? So this is basically a broad overview of this. So if we relate it back to the World Cup to have a very uh, topical example of this, and to relate it back to South America, we have two very different nations, rival nations in Brazil and Argentina, who represent these ideas in a certain way. So we have Brazil, who have, uh, obviously on a Tite, Chiche, Chiche, Chiche. You can say, in, in Brazilian Portuguese would be Chiche, in Portuguese Portuguese would be Tite, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so you have Brazil and a teacher who has an incredible wealth of talent, but a more distributed amount of talent and has created a sort of circuit around a circuit to everybody, to involve everybody, where you have a very regimented positional system of two wide players hugging the touchline and creating with, within the pitch, having occupying the first five zones and having a rest defense to keep yourself organized. While, on the other hand, you have Argentina, who have a primary source of reference in Messi, and whose main goal within their game plan was to create circuits for Messi to combine with other people, and to create moments within those interactions that supersede any game plan created by the coach. So if we use these two examples of a coach that creates an imposition for the team to where everyone is standing and how they are able to interact with each other to a coach that creates a reference point within one of their players to create localized spaces where new interactions can be created within those limitations or references more, you have a sort of good overview of the differences between what we call positionalism and relationism. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to want to hone in on that at all um but what i'm wondering is is whether we could get closer to um to discussing uh, one of the main kind of proponents of uh, relationism uh with uh, uh fernando denise so uh, i i don't know if seb if you want to kind of pick back up and, and maybe just give an overview of of the coaching and 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 Essentially, I, I you know I've, I've read the, the Jamie articles. Really interested in Denise's take on observing um, Guardiola's training sessions, uh, and maybe again kind of give that framework to to what it's looking like on a on a pitch. Yeah. So the idea that something other than very juego de posición, positional 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 football can be actualized was seeing still images of uh, Fernando Diniz's Fluminense side where you have eight players within 20 meters of each other on one side of the pitch and leaving the other side completely open, which in our sort of European understanding of football seems like an irrational thing to do. But It makes me think of, uh, of grassroots football when I first observed it. Yeah, yeah. And I've the actually, fundamental idea of this that you goes back out to... Of children. Yeah, yeah, the fundamental idea of this goes back to youth football in a in a sense because we're what Denise is doing is one and 
here we go back to a more historical aspect of this, is rebelling against the, Europe, uh, the Eurocentrism of football tactics, even within Brazil, who have, as Jonathan Wilson uh, uh, explained, have had European ideas exported into them and have put, been put upon them to explain them how football should be played. And what Denise is doing is going back to fundamental Brazilian principles of football that has been derived in a sense from capoeira and sort of artistic expressionist, expressionist creations within a certain moment and interpretation of, of spaces in a different way. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And, and you know, it it's very much comes across as promoting collaboration instead of it being I'll do my job here and you do your job there it's let's work together in finite spaces to progress the ball in a various way of manners and when you hear Denise speak about football he uses very let's call them human terms he uses relationships as a as a proponent of football tactics he uses things being created within moments and using sort of relationships and, and people as his reference points rather than them being good at executing a game plan to have a more natural way of sort of creating those environments. Um, one of the things that I, I've observed from from obviously like the translations, and I know that there's some some of the South American kind of Twitter coaches and, and football analysts have put some really good content of the, of of either transcripted stuff or translated stuff. Um, as a, a primary school like educator in a previous role and someone who worked with uh, with within grassroots coaching for for a number of years, he he speaks to me like uh, an educator and as you would with uh, working with children, promoting collaboration. Uh, promoting uh, problem solving within yourselves like, like that that is that is something we really instill um in in children uh, and actually as a as a uh, a kind of foundation foundation phase coach it's something that i i actively uh, pursued with him with when i would coach children to actually hand them the session allow them to explore what 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 th what what does the pitch look like? And never really give them an answer. And it's it's interesting that I think, and maybe Chris, you you chime in. But as you go further along the pathway towards professionalism within the game, um, that actually gets flipped on his head, and and actually your 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 sphere of uh, exploration and problem creating and mistake making um, is it, it gets gets smaller and smaller. What do you think, Chris? So, you know, I'm going to come out the back and out the bat and say, I think in the next 15, 10 to 20 years, we're going to see more um, relationship blended relationist style systems. And the reason why is, I mean, my experience of youth, youth education is um, UK based. Um, however, I did my B license in Germany. Um, I visited some other academies outside, well, one other academy outside of the UK. And everything is about making sure you develop the best decision makers. They have developing technique, of course, being able to do um, football specific techniques to a proficient level, but also blending that with creating good decision makers and good decision makers, not for predetermined situations, but to be able to thrive in the chaos of uncertainty 
with the skills that they are good at that is unique to them. So less, this is the correct way to complete this drill or, you know, drill is you know, a thing that we, we don't like to use anymore because it implies predetermined um, answers. But this practice, there, you know, there is a right way for me, there is a right way for you, and that is predetermined on um, different references. And it was quite interesting for me to read in the article the idea that of having space the same as opposition ball teammates. Um, from my own context coaching in Plymouth with um, my lecturer, who is an academic first and foremost, as well as a football coach, um, within that context, there was an idea created of robots, and it was... Um, bots first so ball opposition teammates create together as a player you look for that and the resultant um, idea so the resultant uh, of, of those ideas is the spaces available and trying to slowly teach children not to look for just the space but to actually look at the other things that have been defined as relationist and that the space is the absence of those things already exists from an academic coaching aspect when developing youth children and then the robots bit is just repeat order so remember and to have lots of scans and I you know I give an example I was recently at a non-league football game and you look at players on the pitch and there are not people looking around to see where teammates are because there is already a predetermined plan of how we're going to play and this is our style whereas from a developmental aspect of developing players with you're slowly trying to teach children to scan more and the idea for that is to constantly update the data that you have to make decisions and you're constantly looking at the ever-shifting position of the ball position of opposition position of your teammates and your position and that and as a result the space is constantly changing so youth development is already a little bit more relationist than it was 10 years ago and I think as a result and as those players trickle into first team football beings uh, you know developed with that idea is tactics will have to change and you look at um constantly you hear things from Jose Mourinho talking about how players become more individualistic and you know less willing to work for you know the team or the ideas of the coach I think that can be a misinterpretation I think that players have a better understanding of what their strengths are and what they might not do as well. And in a professional contest where winning matters, you want to lean to your strengths. So are less willing to, you know, do not see the point of doing things that they're not good at when they can focus on doing the things that they do well in an increasing um, amount on a football pitch. And that's why we're starting to see these more relationist teams when we look at Real Madrid in the last couple of years and how that can slowly be described as a semi-positional, semi-relationship-based um, style of playing. We look at, in, in, the, in the article itself, it talks about Croatia at the World Cup. Uh, sorry, not the article, in a Twitter thread about the article that Jamie said, talking about having, you know, a blended approach of a midfield three with relationist values, allowed to make decisions around each other's movements and ra around each other's strengths while the rest of the team focused on a more positionist aspect of these are spaces that you occupy to allow those players in the middle to do those things. So I think that, you know, academia is already behind a more athlete-centric approach to coaching as a um, more efficient way to gain success. And I think that traditional coaching yeah, the, uh, is going to catch up as more of that information. Yeah, the Jose Mourinho example is an interesting one because when we, 
think about why Jose used to be successful 17 years ago and is not as successful anymore. Uh, one of the fundamental things that come out is that players are no longer as eager to just take down anything that's given by the coach that used to be the case like 10-15 years ago. Players are more capable, more willing to look at the situation and go, you know what, this thing, this coaching that has been imparted on me, I think I can do better elsewhere because this is not playing to my strengths and players are more willing to acknowledge that, admit that and express that out to people around them that uh, this system that we are playing in this may not suit me this may suit someone else so I'm going to go and play in a system where I'm allowed to express the way that is more comfortable for me so uh, and that is something that stands out in what Denise says every time he says something which is that he is very acknowledging and accepting of the fact that uh, people all people are different people and they have human characteristics as it expected to do the and he encourages his players to bring those values onto the pitch as well. Now, with positionist ideas, the problem is that we, uh, you could say the problem or you could just say it's, it's a trait about the positionist coaching, which is that you try to coach the players and give them a predetermined choices by not taking into account individual characteristics of every human. Now, that has its benefits. Because uh, a, a bit a bit of order allows you to have a squad that you can rotate in rotate a week in and week out in a system that once again is uh, in a footballing context where everything is very like, results driven. So that has its advantages. But you cannot then uh, it's a very hard for you to come up with relationist ideas because these players will not be able to develop a relationship with them. And what kind of the, the relationship that will be developed will have many different permutations and combinations because every player is uh, again all all people are different people so if you are as a coach trying to go to positionist and uh, you are trying to, to the players to leave their personality away from the pitch too many of the time too much or too much of the time that expression aspect somewhere gets lost in the middle of the players arriving on the pitch when they leave the uh, when they leave the, the dressing room so one of the, that, that thing is quite quite important when uh, Christy talk about the Jose Mourinho example is that uh, players are willing to be a lot more expressive. So even when we are looking at hyper-positionalist system, we are looking at players who are uh, who are wanting to express themselves a bit more onto the pitch and bring their uh, personality onto the pitch a bit more, even if that means uh, restricting themselves to a bit of a uh, predetermined choices. But that expression aspect of their individuality still needs to be there. Yeah, and and you know, and to go back to Denise, you know, they talk about he he himself talks about. Um, a Guardiola style system being the game moving to players and how they themselves as a they through Menenzi as you know move the game with to the to each other so they all participate in the game as opposed to the game moving to players you know because I think fundamentally from, from reading it that it, it it does come down to the difference in philosophies is different in how one interprets space but the execution can be similar like we, you know, to to take some uh, ideas from a thread on Twitter by Kai Miguel, um, which is also linked on the twi- on on the on the Twitter post. So go go read that. There's some great stuff on um, Juan Malillo in Al Sad. Some great there's a great thread on Fernando Denise's full Menenzi, and on there you're talking about things like third man runs as an outlet to progress the ball. Things like looking to progress the ball through thirds. Things like progressing the ball through constructing constructing a control approach to possession with 
the ability to dribble or have lots of small passes, I could use that to describe Guardiola's Barcelona. I could use that to describe how Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets and Messi interacted with each other. The difference is, is the context of that team was the ball moving to those players in different positions, whereas this positionist idea that Denise is implementing is again about getting bodies near the ball, allowing for more collaboration of players. And it's fundamentally just philosophical. The execution can have similar results. What Chris has just said is opens up another can of worms, which is that we ha- that this isn't a dichotomy, that we have different ways of interpreting the situation because we have Denise and Guardiola, for example, who are both possession coaches, if we want to use that term, but make use it in a very different way. While we have Leipzig or the Red Bull model as a whole, which uses a lot of relationist ideas, but the end result of what that is supposed to achieve is entirely different to what, say, Denise is trying to achieve with his side. So we're creating, di- we have similar principles used in different ways, and which shows us how, how wide the spectrum actually is if we determine it further. Yeah, because within... With- Within kind of the spectrum yeah, yeah, of totally, like I think positionism, you, you know, we've talked about the difference between where, where Conte is in in his style of of play and Pep being at the other end of 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 that same of that same spectrum. Um, Chris, ju- jump in because I might want to take it somewhere else with something that I was thinking. So carry on there. Yeah, I I, I was just going to round that off and say I think from a coaching point of view, it's fundamentally the difference in approach of how you're trying to help your players interpret the game. I think that one methodology is I'm going to simplify it for you. So there's less likelihood of errors because your view, because you know that these are some simple rules you have to follow. And then another, another, another methodology of, well, I acknowledge that this might be slightly more difficult and take more time, but I'm going to try and aid you interpret space, let's say organically. And it comes down to, how the I believe how a coach thinks is the most effective way that they can aid their players. Okay, so that that ties in perfectly with what, where where I wanted to to go, and one is a uh, uh, is so a, c- a couple of, of 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 examples of the principle of what I think about is how much does a coach incorporate the players into these decision making processes that we talk about, and maybe relationism, and I don't know and I'd be really interested to know, is with someone like Denise, is there a greater input of the players and a greater exploration of how the players problem solve within practice sessions and therefore within matches as opposed to being dictated to this is how we're going to solve these problems. This is how the problem, you're going to be presented with these problems in a match. This is how I want you to solve them, which is one way of of teaching, of coaching. And the other way is, what problems do you think we're going to come up against? What problems look like? What ways can we explore these challenges? And what ways can we combine? So I go back to, I've got a book in the loft. And it's a book, I think I might have spoken about previously in the, in the Twitter spaces. But it's it's about Brazil. It's, it's lots of short pieces about the Brazil teams in the 60s and 70s. And there's a whole chapter on Garincha. And I always remember reading it. And it's got quotes from him. And, and he talks about how he absolutely hated becoming a professional footballer and having a coach who wasn't anywhere near good as him telling him things that he had to do on a pitch 
and and I read it as like and and you know I think maybe maybe Garincha is like the <laughs> I don't know like the pure relationist footballer but like uh, I, I think about the Baggio quote that appeared in yeah yeah and 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 Baggio talked about um Baggio talked about like modern football being dominated by by coaches and he talked about kind of the narcissistic tendencies of coaches which which I do I do think exists and I'm not saying like not necessarily saying that's a bad thing I'm just saying it's really prevalent and and actually I I it's it's really weird because I, I, it makes me think about Harry Redknapp as a as a coach, and Harry Redknapp was a Spurs coach for for a number of years, and and he always always used to cite that actually it's just having really good players, and and he and there's a great quote from Rafael van der Vaart who came from the Ajax academy and went to Madrid, and he came to Spurs, and he kind of talked about Harry Redknapp, and he said he just used to like tell me to just go on and do my thing, like. He, he he really did he he was very mindful of like of, if i get a good group of players together and let them go out and express themselves and and i know that it, it's a it's a simplified version of, of perhaps what we're talking about but i i think redknapp was 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 not a narcissistic um coach i think he was very much he always talked very mindful of i'm just the coach those guys those guys are the other other are the ones that have the skills and are the ones that are putting this together. I just happen to be picking my 11 favourite players. Um, so I wonder, like, maybe, you know, the thing that interests me is where does this go? Like you said, Chris, it's messy trying to get players to to to, to problem-solve themselves. It is easier to go, look, let's do this. This is, you know, this is where I want you to stand. You're going to move here. It is messier, and and actually watching some of uh, Fluminense's games. Um, initially, I was watching. I'm like, I'm going to be watching something out of this world here, and 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 I'm not afraid to say, like, it's it's actually it wasn't out of this world. It's 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 it is sometimes messy. It isn't, but but actually within it, there, there were there were these moments of pure kind, pure, like I oh, know, pure like pure football, where it did kind of resonate on a school football level where you are doing this because you just you've you've built you've built that moment together as opposed to i'm going to build this moment for you if that makes sense right so two things here one is the that we're dealing with the fundamental reality that better players equal better football right like this is a sentiment that is shared both by coaches that you would ta tag as coaches that rely on their players more and say, go out and enjoy yourself. They say, but also if you hear Guardiola say it, he says, I'm not doing, I could not have done what I've done if I didn't have Messi, if I didn't have Iniesta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing is a more pedagogical approach to this. And that's basically how I want to train my players and to explain this I'm going to use an analogy that Jamie has also used in one of his pieces and that is the differences in classical music and how you teach classical music and how you conduct classical music versus jazz music right so a positional coach is essentially a conductor of an of a classical orchestra where you are giving a predetermined set of note sheets to and the the orchestra or the players in that example have to deliver it in a certain way and deliver the predetermined situations onto the pitch 
right? It goes back to even if you look at training grounds and training videos of positional coaches, they are often in a sort of higher seat explaining things to the players and have big video walls to to sort of adjust minutiae within his view of how he wants the entirety to look, whereas a jazz construction is more creating things in the moment while also, and here we go back to the fundamental reality that relationism is in a way controlled, is that, and Marcelo Bielsa said this when he talked about his players, that to create jazz music, you must first understand every fundamental of music. So you can't just go out there and randomly put a few notes together and call it jazz. You have to understand how music works and to put it back to football, understand how, understand the rules you have to have, understand the different minutiae of what you want to do. And then within those parameters that you have set, you can riff and create new situations. You've seen this in the Champions League run that Real Madrid had, where you literally had Marcelo and Toni Kroos go to Carlo Ancelotti and tell him and discuss with him what they need to do and sort of interpret the situation that has gone on within this chaotic football game against Manchester City, for example, and say, okay, this, from being on the pitch, I have deducted that this might be the best way to go forward. In opposed to a Guardiola who says, no, this isn't working. I'm saying we have to switch it up and put this into consideration. So, I mean, totally, I think that's, I love the music analogy because it also highlights something that I believe is quite applicable in most aspects of society and life. Really easy to get good at something and be able to mimic something. Really hard to create something yourself. And I think that's, that's why I love that music analogy of you might be technically at whatever instrument you, you choose, you might be technically as good as each other in terms of, you know, your grade eight distinction level violinist, as an example. But it's easier for you to follow something that somebody's giving you than it is to use that technique and interpret what others are doing and build and create together. That's a almost a different skill that even less amount of people have compared to what are as good at a thing. And I think that's also why positionism has had a massive rise is that it's really, it's, you know, there are lots of players that are technically proficient. The difference between a good player and great players are the ability to make decisions under pressure. And if I can take away the pressure by giving you an instruction manual, then you might be able to perform better than I, than you might have done if I go, yeah, man, just like, just play what you see. If somebody comes short, yeah, you can give it to them or you can interpret the space. You do what you think is the best for you all of a sudden. That's a whole different skill set that is a li- we haven't figured. Yeah, exactly. And people, c- you know, you can find comfort in, you know, talk about finding comfort in repeatability. You know, it, 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 you're fundamentally dealing with, you know, different performance anxieties and positionism might be able to take that away, which is a benefit of that. But also, you know, it's really hard to create, even if you're as good at, as good as somebody else at the technical proficiency of a thing, it's really hard to take that technical proficiency and do something different with it compared to repeating something. 
as you said chris the thing about positionless coaching is that it can help you elevate the level of uh, players with a very limited skill set because uh, they these are not the kind who immediately might be able to come up with solutions on the go that are very innovative or even successful so if you have a predetermined uh, if you can provide them a predetermined set of options that these are the only things that you're going to have to work with uh, it becomes easier for them on the fly because they don't have to think for themselves so it it also again again it becomes a, a matter of understanding people and understanding that there are some players who will require instructional coaching and then there are other players who would like to freestyle their way into it and then incorporating them into a system where both of them can survive and both of them can play their own roles in their different sides of the pitch and interpret space uh, in their in their own ways but you could also argue the other side of this which is something that deserve who himself is a very positionless coach but you can derive this principle that he said onto how you create relationism and that is that he argues that his side playing the ball out every time while not having the best players yet it can go wrong but if they do it and do it successfully that gives them more confidence to repeat that and make them better by putting them in a situation where they can fail but can learn from their failure so you can argue that yeah you can put a person out there and say go ahead and do what you want in a way obviously we're still talking about certain rules being in place not holding on to the ball too long etc etc but you can say to him you interpret the situation and i'm allowing you for it to go wrong but you learn through this sort of trial and error situation can make you a better player and this goes back to the always having to win situation is this is way harder to instill because we live in a very capitalistic society that promotes winning immediately and if we're not winning for five games then the coach that is trying to make me better by letting me fail is gone so i mean it's really really key because those principles are very similar with youth development. Like youth development is fundamentally, you know, every bit of academic research is, is, is slowly, not slowly, is suggesting that you are going to get better results from athletes, and especially younger athletes, from positive reinforcement, not negative reinforcement. So putting positions to fail, but when they do succeed, reward that success as opposed to pointing out the constant failure you're you're more likely to get better development and better growth. So I think that, like we've circled back to what Joe mentioned earlier, when you go to, let's say, um, performance football, where you know performance sport where results start to matter, the patience of people to give you that development spiral is uh, less incentivized, but also you know to to use deserby's point uh example it's completely individually um it depends on the individuals that you have you you might they might you know we we say you know the brighton place for example might not be as what better whatever that means um than some other players in the league but they might be the type of people that need to be given trust and the ability to be able to make decisions as their characteristics as human beings and you know, going back to you know, to Denise's principle of you know everybody being different and everybody you know no one way no one way is the correct way for every single situation because every single situation is different and you have different people and different athletes and you know the the only way that you can find whatever the best solution is for your your, your circumstance is 
through an athlete-centric approach and involving the athletes, which naturally starts to lean towards a, a position, uh, sorry, a relation in it, a relationism um, approach to coaching. And that's why, you know, I keep coming back to it, but like youth coaching has already gone that way in academy levels. Like it's, it's, you, you, outside of grassroots, you'll find it very rare to go into academy setup and see a coach telling players exactly what to do, how to do it all the time, with the exception of when they're learning new technique. When it comes to decision making and tactical understanding, that is what you're describing and what has been described as, you know, relationship relationist point of view a more collaborative um relationship with coaches and you know again like on my course a lot of what you learn about is how to understand you know your emotional intelligence how to connect with players how to connect with athletes how to involve athletes and when they interview athletes what approach do you prefer and what do you feel gets the best results for you it most of the time comes back as yeah, when the coach asks how I think and in involves me in decision making, I think that I perform better. And whether that's reality or not, the fact that the athlete thinks that they do means that you're going to gain more success. And football is going to head towards that way. So even though there isn't, from a tactical point of view, necessarily a better way to do things, from a humanistic point of view, you're the current research suggests you'll get better results involving your players. Yeah. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi in this context is a very interesting example because uh, lest we forget when Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea uh, won, won the Champions League against Man City. Uh, his interview came out a few days later in which he said that I would rather lose the Champions League final sitting alongside Pep instead of uh, winning it with Tuchel playing pragmatic football. Now, that is something that from a romantic point of view uh, comes off as very brave, which is one of the reasons why, uh, uh, as Jamie writes out in his, in his piece, uh, uh, Dangerous Provocations, it is, it is provocative because this is a man who, by the virtue of his football and by the virtue of his personality, is trying to go essentially against the machine it's going it's it's uh, it's telling you that i'm going to try and do things this way and this way only and it's the the football that it generates is beautiful so going against the grain going against the establishment that has over the years have raised the or, or, or raised the standard of the zerbi and his football that he has portrayed now the challenge with that is that this is so hyper positional that it borders line borderlines on dogma and the the biggest ch challenge that dogma has it's it that is always line lays out in front of you that these are the right things and anything apart from that is not right and we are not doing anything that is not right and the uh, the other challenge is that is uh, once again this is something that jimmy points out is uh, how you deal with uncertainty and do you expect that all the future events that are going to happen uh, are just going to happen from these limited events or are you going to uh, come up uh, are you going to actually end up stumbling upon into an event that you could not see coming and uh, the the interesting uh, thing with that with dogma is that if you are going to f fix yourself to a very limited set of choices and you are going to think in a very limited way that okay this is a very limited set of solutions that are going to uh, appear in front of us and these are the very limited uh, ramifications of our options of our choices somewhere down the line 
because things are so infinitely complex and there are agencies at place in a football match that are out of your control you are going to stumble upon a challenge that you will not understand how to deal with there will at some point come a moment where something that that you are not prepared for will happen and what do you do in that moment and what kind of agency do players have in that moment do they start looking at each other or do they have the agency to figure out a solution for themselves or are they even able to figure out a solution for themselves so these are the kind of questions hyper positionalist coaches and teams need to ask for themselves because at the end of the day uh, good football is all fun in games but when the results stop coming it always the, the narrative always shifts uh, sh shifts back to okay what the manager can do from here and a coach like Dzerbi that always says that okay I'm going to do things this way and this way only things become quite challenging for them so again like Chris you said the idea of taking the athletes into into your idea of introspection of, and taking their input as to how they can improve better and taking their feedback into how you as a coach can do better these are uh, the relationist ideas at the end of the day that are implemented and are going to continue to be implemented going forward to put a small example on this the, what outlines what Andrew said perfectly is if you look at Conte and what he does he is in a sense the most positional coach that we have in Europe right now and once he stumbles upon a challenge that is outside of his hyper-positional system. His instinct isn't to change his system in a way that can alleviate those problems. It is one of two things. It's, I'm getting better players to better play my system and outlast the challenges that way. Or B, I'm going and I'm putting my system back into another team until I stumble upon those same problems and put my system into a new set of players until I stumble upon the same problems, at which point... I'm going to have the same two options of better players or leaving. No, totally. And I think it comes down to, I think most good coaches will say that, would recognize that the way that they, their tactical philosophy is a preference of taste and is not the only way of doing things. It's just the way that they prefer to do things. Now that, you know, that for me is a, is a whole nother um, discussion to have. It's another coffee house episode. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, it's, is that a correct way to think, to acknowledge that, yes, there are different ways of doing things, but the way that I currently do it is the only way that I'm going to do it. And even though I acknowledge there's different ways of doing things, whatever, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But most coaches will say, yeah, you know, that, that style is not for me, but I recognize that there's multiple ways of, of, of doing this. And I think the extremist examples are... You know, for example, of Conte is very much a case of, well, this is the only way of doing things. This is this comes across as the we perceive as the the only way that he suggests should be. Well, let me say that it's the way that he thinks it should be done and no other way is valid. But I'm sure if we spoke to him as a coach, he would just say, this is the only way I know how to do it. It's brought me success so far. Why would I change? You know, what's my incentive to incorporate new ideas if I'm finding success? until I'm no longer finding success. Conte is very, very transparent in the sense that he very much says, this is my style, I'm, I can't change, I'm not going to, and these are my only options of leaving all better players. It's, like, it's, it's, it's similar with, um, you think of boxers, boxers spend their entire life honing, honing their specific styles, and it's how good your style is against other, other boxers. I, I, I wanted to pose a, a query because Thomas Tuchel is a coach that quite fascinates me and and often when I've listened to him speak he's talked about his coaching 
sessions and how he would a um, create incredibly complex coaching sessions to to essentially create a more complex environment than the ones that his players would experience on the pitch and it sounds and felt like he was very much a relationist in his approach that he wanted the players to problem solve and this is my question so so uh, so Seb is, is is shaking his head listeners so so where does where does he feature in it Seb go, go on because because I, I find him so so that was my interpretation I, I, I thought that maybe he had that uh, that that principle at hand but but it seems not Tuchel is an interesting one in that, one, he's changed dramatically in his time as a coach. He explained that at Mainz he was very much coaching out of a position of inferiority to the rest of the league, meaning that his way of, of alleviating that problem is by constantly creating new systems that are in relation to what the opposition is doing. Now, this isn't relational in a sense because the the imposition is always going to be from him. He has since moved into being a very pragmatic, not pragmatic, but very idealistic coach in the sense that he has his system that he instills upon his players without changing dramatically in relation to the opponent, but only changing within his parameters that he's set. The other thing that comes into this is his methodology, which is the more interesting thing. And while his imposition is from him, the way he wants to impose his style on his team was was predicated through different uh, pedagogical examples. So, for example, he said that at Mainz he didn't want the straight ball from a fullback to a wingback uh, to a winger. That was one of the things. It's an easily cut uh, easily easy pass to cut out and it's not going to do him any justice but he didn't want to be in a training session where he constantly shouts at his players not to play that pass so his way of working around that was to literally cut out a part of the pitch so that pass is not possible to make so he basically complex uh, complicates his training sessions to allow players to find solutions but those solutions are always within the parameters that he has set for his system to eventually go on to be represented onto the pitch. Wow, that's 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 really cool. That's a really interesting uh, um, take on that. That's something I wasn't aware of. Um, I want us to 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 maybe just give a thought to this. This is my my question to you guys. Where where does this principle go and how far could the 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 concept the idea of relationism and we, we, we you know we've talked about essentially there are hybrid coaches out there operating how far and how much could the principle be adopted and shaman and and how how prevalent could it be well the the actual the fundamental reality is relationism has always been there and uh, positionism in its way is, has always been there but that, that is the uh, that is the kind of an ex uh, example that we made when talked about football starting in the 1860s and then it, the idea spreading there and so 
even the hyper positionalist coach at some point have to relent to a individual player's capacity just one example like pep guardiola can give a lot of instructions to kevin de bruyne but he's not going to tell him in a microscopic event in that one point in time how exactly to cross a ball and how where exactly to where to find a, find a player so even if that there are the, there is a very limited uh, aspect to which to what what one player can do in a hyper positionalist system in microscopic events you have those relationist ideas in which players are players are having to find their own answers and even when you look at someone like fernando dinizes who is hyper relationist you are going to have to uh, let the players for, uh, when you are letting the players f- figure out their own thing and even in that order emerges even in that positionalism positionalism in, emerges a very good example of this is something that uh, jonathan jonathan linsel wrote about uh, an invert in the pyramid which was the reverse side of the early 1940s and uh, that 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 they implemented a style of la nuestra which was at the time uh, argentinian football was about expression of the self and playing a kind of football that was different from the, the from the british order british ideas of order and moral fiber and all that in which we are going to play a football in which we are going to express ourselves and we are going to enjoy it and we are actually going to win doing it and uh, this river plate side was had the players that knew each other so well and the combinations had after a point had become so apparent so repetitive yet so inevitable that this this team came to be known as la machina the machine and that that is that is the irony of the point that if even if hyper relationalist system at their peak in their in their uh, relationalist peak can turn out to be machine like so uh, the, the one of the issues that we started talking about is the homogenization of football which is something that to be kept in mind is homogenization is is always something that humans impose upon themselves and from which uh, diversification will always bloom and uh, chris talked about the roman empire in the beginning and we have to uh, that, that i have to i will bring bring it back to that example that as the roman empire spread the initial roman empire the lingua franca remained latin no matter where you were, if you are in italy or you went as far as gaul and uh, then if then the, the the roman empire fell then the eastern roman empire came into being where the which had it, its own uh, identity of christianity and it had its own lingua franca in greek and uh, when that empire fell and as the as uh, the segregation of the societies and the peoples began that same language gave rise to newer languages and that this is something that again something that has been imposed by people have imposed upon themselves again results into something very organic which is from homogenization comes diversification and after that comes homogenization once again in football we are experiencing this is because total football whoever the position uh, became the symbol of exciting football at a time when world was becoming globalized when uh, people were just starting to notice what what the netherlands were doing what rhinos michels and johan cruyff were actually doing at the netherlands and uh, football was going global so it just so happens to be that the homogenization has uh, has been represented by this idea of hyper positionalist football and uh, as we are uh, so and because because it's uh, been it's been driving results and we are talking about football in a very success driven context so in time we are also talking about players who are beginning to express themselves or where the individuality is coming back and naturally as a, as is a very human thing when something begins something begins to emerge on one side the counter argument for that emerges on the other so when you have hyper positionism it's very natural for hyper relationism to up, uh, to a uh, to something to appear uh, on the other side of things and the fundamental different you know difference in all of that is how you deal with uncertainty and uh, whether you look at uncertainty 
society and you want to curb down every single thing that you can control you want to control every aspect of the game which fundamentally is impossible it it realistically cannot happen so you have other other type of other types of coaches who looks at this and they realize that okay uh, at the end of the day we are going to stumble upon something that we haven't stumbled upon before so chaos again the idea of dealing with chaos and us uncertainty this isn't something that uh, we are going to uh, we are going to think about and th the, try to control every single thing because we physically can't we need to accept that and jamie points out in his piece is that uh, chaos and uncertainty isn't something to fear it's something to accept as a partner and uh, dance with and that is that is a very important part of, of the relationist side of the argument that you accept the fact that eventually you will come across something that you cannot deal with and you need to be in a position where you can allow your players to express themselves and try to figure out a solution of such a thing on the fly and they may succeed they may not but it is incumbent upon you as a coach to allow them that opportunity to be able to do that rather than limit them to uh, to physically or psychologically limit them to a set of options beyond which they are not able to go so in, because homogenization has been taking place for a long time the patterns of it will emerge in time because different people will in, if interpret the whoever their position in different way and many of these uh, new new uh, new uh, up and coming coaches they will take into account the fact that individualities of humans need to be taken into account and their characteristics need to be blended with their style of football and uh, once uh, there is only so long before you can go one uh, one solution fitting everyone because it physically cannot exist so diversification is uh, inevitable and it will happen so as much as Jamie and Juan Malio are uh, quite apprehensive about the fact that homogenization is happening diversification is just around the corner don't worry and it has started manifesting in Fernando Denise and we'll see more examples of it. Anch made some very good points there and I think that for me personally it comes down to different things I think it's important to remember that we're talking about fundamentally an in possession solution so you will get systems that will be divergent and convergent in different manners. But this, we're talking in possession solutions. So where does it end up? We will continue to get some that agree uh, that the way that I'm going to do things is I'm going to have a more athlete centric approach to decision making. And I'm going to create a system that promotes that. And then I, as a different coach, believe that the most effective way for me to gain success is to have a idea-based system where I strip down decision-making to some key simplistic um, formulas that players learn and follow, NFL style, as an example. So we'll continue to get coaches that, for whatever reason, will, depending on what their circumstances are, will choose different solutions. And we may even get coaches start to choose different solutions for the different contexts that we're in. I think that if you are talking about staying in a job long term, I think if your system does not allow for this, at the very least your training practices will have a more athlete-centric approach. And I think that naturally will start to bleed into your approach on the field with your in-possession solutions. And I think that like with everything, we'll get people doing varying amounts of combinations of ideas i think that extremism of ideas only occur at the beginning of a of a thought process i think that through human history we've had cycles of order from chaos chaos from order and 
it's when you're in that precipice of change is when you get those extremist thoughts and views but fundamentally as people start to grasp them understand them and interpret them on their own their own context you'll start to get people doing a little bit of this a little bit of that whatever works with this this group of 12 or 24 players i have and this group of 24 players might need a different type of approach um yeah i think it's i think it's as uh, as simple as that more messy hybridized ways of progressing a football when your team has the ball it's a very important point there right like we we're currently using say conte and denise as extremist examples to look at two different ways of doing things but we're not doing that to just have those two things be there we're doing that to perceive those two things and sort of create in between situations on based on having extreme examples of it right like we are even seeing this with someone like Julian Nagelsmann who was very positional or still is in a sense but other examples as well where you have something called minimal width where you're still essentially a positional side but your width going back to speaking about space being only as wide as it's necessary so when the opponent's defensive line isn't as wide as your wingers are then that space you leave in between those is basically is is um redundant right so we're seeing different interpretations of what you we perceive as width and what we perceive as differences and it's fundamental to understand that these situations are often predicated or created by circumstances right like if you have someone like Leo Messi you will create a more system that short circuits to him because you have him so you're not creating a system that is more a positional because you want to be more a positional but because there is people around you that sort of uh demand of you to be more a positional rather than you wanting to be it chris yeah i know we're supposed to be wrapping up but except said some very good points and i think i would be very useful to yes and one julian nagelsmann at hoffenheim would talk about how his training was 60 percent relation building relations with players 40 percent tactics so we talk about somebody hold on hold on, on hold on i gotta i gotta just wrap you up real quick cool. that that's that that quote is so often misinterpreted awesome he said coaching is 60% relationship uh, and 40% uh, okay. tactics meaning yeah tactics are important but you can't he's go going at it at a point yeah I'm giving you the tactics but for them to be able to work I have to be in a relationship with my players understand them etc etc awesome. to be able to impart on them the situation cool. that's the same thing Arteta says where he says I need to know my players as humans so I can teach them my positional system, right? Cool. So it's more to have social competency to even be able to coach rather than my coaching is yes. social intelligence. Okay, cool. So I'll take that. I'll take the L on that. Um, <laughs> sec secondarily... I love how animated Seb becomes. I wish I wish we... We may, may record video footage of this. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go on, Chris. And I think second, no, no, we won't, Sam. It's fine. <laughs> I think secondarily, it's important to remember that um, fundamentally, we're bound by natural order, and the natural order of space is it's the absence of things. 
So I think that because space being an absence of thing, there is no necessarily uh, correct way to interpret absence. You're gonna, your mind is gonna construct different methodologies to do that. So further leading into a more hybridized approach that we'll see in the future and no one way being correct because we're bound by that concept that space is the absence of, of stuff. And, and it's ultimately about where you place your reference point, yeah. right? Yeah. Whether your reference point is, I want to fill out the pitch or your reference point is a certain player or your reference point is where the ball is, which is the whole uh, Red Bull philosophy is where with and against the ball, our approach is to put as many players as possible around the football. Yeah, 100%. So you, the, the essential thing to understand everything is about space and to have a reference point. Yeah. And the reference point is ultimately how is ultimately the starting point for every coaching decision. A hundred percent. And that reference point will be skewed by personal bias of whatever coach. Yeah. Yeah. As well as aesthetic things. Yes. And so yeah. on. Um, I I, th I think we've covered some serious ground here, guys. And I know we've also said that, that perhaps this will be a topic that we revisit further down the line where where perhaps such a broad topic that yeah it is man yeah definitely we can't really do it justice no no i, I and, didn't and even go into eastern culture and eastern religion on yeah. feng shui and how to how to organize yourself around space and all that fun stuff of yin and yang well i've still got half my notes to talk about you can save that for another time chris <laughs> you can save that for another time um i, I must say I've, I've i've loved it guys this has been great has come together um listen i hope you hope you've enjoyed it this is going to be a kind of a monthly thing where where we'll draw on kind of wider topics over over the you know sometimes it'll be retrospective from the previous month maybe it'll be things uh wider again such as um this topic that we've covered today uh i'd like to think that that between the, the four of us and the rest of the jb crew we're we're quite um we're quite open to influence of of things that we read and and things that we listen to that we'd like to to explore so um i hope you guys have, have enjoyed it listening and tuning in please get you know connect with us via uh, insta or or, uh, or twitter um and let us know what you thought yeah it'd be great to for this to be kind of a bit of a vehicle to to explore more like i said i, I think we've, we've all come from a, an exploratory um uh, angle um uh, and i think this is this perhaps the best way um but yeah i've, I've very much enjoyed it um and it's been it's been great um uh chatting i'm, I'm going to share something that uh, Anne shared with us off air so listeners if you are listening but Anshuman um let us know that um somewhere on youtube there is a <laughs> there is a 17 minute monologue of uh, Anshuman talking about Paul Pogba um so I I highly recommend tuning in you didn't even get close to that this time around Anshuman but it's fantastic listening to you and, and chatting with you mate yeah uh, it's, it's been fantastic rambling about a topic that uh, it's quite interesting quite broad and like Seb said can't really be done just as an episode but yeah thank you so much for having me and I can't wait for the next one yeah nice man nice um seb absolutely great speaking to you um i, I did want to just broach you know we've talked about essentially like multiverses of football and 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 if multiverses are infinite then there is a world where antonio conto wins the premier league with tottenham that is not a reality i want to live in <laughs>
great speaking with you buddy and and i know this is something that you've been kind of chomping at the bit to uh to to discuss i hope you've you've we've we've kind of sated your appetite but like you said it is really broad and and it will be something that i don't doubt kind of will feature within other topics uh, and, and other conversations again yep thank you so much for having me pleasure man um chris great job um bringing this together love it um and like i said yeah chris's notes are, are a thing to behold they must be a really good reflection on on like your um when you're a student i imagine you're very very studious and above and beyond uh i i was very good at having ideas and linking thoughts very bad at finding the references to back it up from other people's research <laughs> so lots of notes on thoughts and ideas and like i've read the paper and i've not like come up from this from nowhere but like the dyslexia kicks in like 10 papers in in that hour and it, it becomes a slog so this was fun so it was it was enjoyable thank you for agreeing to do this guys thank you for having me Love it. this will be definitely something that in a year's time as events progress as people's methodologies and ideas and philosophies change from a football coaching perspective i'm sure that we'll end up bringing it up at some way shape or form in the future yeah for sure for sure um all right guys thanks very much listeners thank you for for tuning into this this maiden voyage of uh, of the good ship yoga benito coffee house um yeah let us know get in touch um if you do download it if you do rate it it means a lot it gives us great visibility um i i feel like a, a slog ever asking about those things but it does help um, but most of all just tune in tell your mates uh and and get in touch you know we would like to have these chats we like to uh feel free to to kind of uh, recommend thoughts and, and topics and such like um enjoy your football and uh, and we'll speak again soon many thanks mm-hmm.